As a believer, reading God's Word is a critical part of your daily spiritual journey. And because it's so important, we've created a unique new resource to help you immerse yourself in biblical truth and open your eyes to all God's Word has for you. It's a free PDF download called The Word One-to-One that takes you on a guided journey through John chapter one. With biblical text and short commentary, each page provides insights that will strengthen your faith in an easy to read guided format. There's truly no other resource like this. Download your free PDF copy today at premierinsight.org forward slash resources. That's premierinsight.org forward slash resources. Matters of Life and Death, a podcast from Premier Unbelievable. Well, hello and welcome to Matters of Life and Death. Uh, My name, as always, is Tim Wyatt, and I'm here with my dad, uh, John Wyatt, who's joining us uh, down the line again for a a new discussion. Uh, This time, John, we, we wanted to talk about the whole topic of human enhancement. Um, perhaps something that some people might not come across, but it's actually a really, a really growing trend in, in technology. Uh, particularly, a lot of the, a lot of the money and, and and research is really coming most obviously out of Silicon Valley in, in America with companies like like Calico. Do you want to talk a little bit about what Calico are and 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 what would we mean by this whole idea of human enhancement? Yes, I think the idea of using technology to try and improve on our bodies. Uh, in, and, and, and combat some of the fundamental issues and problems that, that the human body has. I, I think this is an idea whose time has arrived. It, it's, um, it fits in with the kind of technological mindset, which, um, you know, if there's a problem, then the answer is let's, let's use technology. Let, let's, technology ultimately will provide an answer. And it's a trend which has really just taken off in the last... 10, 15 years. Um, And it is interesting how it is particularly being driven, it seems to me, out of Silicon Valley and out of um, American um, capitalist and an entrepreneurial kind of view of the world. So there are some extremely rich um, elderly men who have who have made fortunes in America and who are frightened about death and frightened about aging and disease and the obvious thing to them is to throw their money at finding technological ways to uh, combat this and and a classic example is the company Calico which is uh, supported by and funded by Alphabet the owners of Google and it's a company which is dedicated to to tackling aging and finding ways of extending human life. Calico, which is actually interestingly, is an acronym for the California Life Company, uh, which tells you what they're all about. Uh, they have a fascinating website, and on, on when you kind of land on their website, the background is is a very high quality kind of animation of um, kind of neurons firing and synapses. Uh, moving and on front of it, it has this kind of rolling message which I thought was really fascinating it says we are tackling aging one of life's greatest mysteries 
What is the underlying biology that determines how fast an organism ages? What if we could better understand how we age? And how can we help people live longer and healthier lives? Challenging questions like these brought us to science and today they give us purpose. So there's a real kind of, even from that very brief introduction, there's a sense that this is, this is not just uh, another, another way of potentially making money. It's not just an investment and a, and a research for science's sake, but there's almost kind of a zeal, a quasi-spiritual zeal behind this idea that that aging and and tr being able to be aging is is almost like a, uh, a the holy grail. Yes, and of course it's not a new idea. And uh, historically, you can go back uh, hundreds of years, if not thousands of years, to the idea of an elixir of life, of some secret, mysterious potion which uh, would enable one to live forever. And, and this is not just a fairy tale, but there have been, um, over the centuries, um, rich rulers, emperors, kings, philosophers, who've, who've sought and, and, and tried to use the very best science of the day to, to discover this elixir of life. It, it's, it's a very, very potent dream. Hmm. And it's an idea that actually you can trace through a lot of um, more contemporary history. There's plenty of quite tragic stories really of in the past of people doing things like drinking mercury or other kind of compounds that they thought might somehow uh, cease aging. Or, or in the 20th century, there was a brief obsession with the idea of cryonics, um, of freezing your body or maybe just your head after death with the intention that in the future it would become possible to reanimate frozen corpses and therefore you could live forever even if you were born in the wrong time um, which is obviously <laughs> scientifically right now uh, certainly a complete pseudoscience quackery um, isn't it yeah i'm afraid so and yeah it's a sort of tragic comic really the thought of these people paying large sums of money in order to have their bodies frozen in liquid nitrogen in the forlorn hope that hundreds of years later someone's going to thaw them out and um, and recreate recreate them. So it, it is a deep dream, but, but uh, companies like Calico are certainly not in the kind of fringe, uh, weird science. Uh, this is very much using mainstream scientific research. Um, and of course, because it's funded by these enormous profits, which the Silicon Valley entrepreneurs are making um potentially there are there are billions of dollars of, of research funding available to go into uh this area of research and and i mean it, it is interesting that that the question of why organisms age it is what is a deeply mysterious scientific problem and and the technologists say you know it, it's a problem that can be solved you know if only we can work out what what it is that makes cells gradually decay with time and uh, and, and find ways of repairing the damage and, and growing new cells and so on then there's no theoretical reason as to why an organism couldn't live for hundreds of years if if not forever i think that's what's really fascinating about things like calico is that as you say un better understanding the science of aging is a really like frankly quite socially useful piece of research to uh, 
it's a it's it's a really fundamental part of life and yet it's something that we understand very little about but it's fascinating to me that the, the boundaries are being pushed here not by a university or, or by a publicly funded institute of research but it's by a private firm uh founded with the with the billions of residue from 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 the tech boom and and it's clearly they're doing real serious credible science but they're doing it with a very clear like they said a purpose a mission it's not just about expanding the boundaries of knowledge and increasing the, the what we understand about our own bodies but it's because we want to help people live longer and healthier lives we want to 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 cut off at the knees this idea that death is is inevitable and and something that shouldn't be feared yeah, and what these entrepreneurs think is outrageous is that is that there isn't a massive scientific mainstream scientific enterprise within our mainstream universities going on into finding anti-aging therapy. They they argue that there's a kind of they call it a deathist uh, uh, an acceptance uh, of, of death and of and of aging that that. It's almost as though scientists just shrug their shoulders and say, well, you know, people get old and that's the way it is. It's always been like that. It always will be. Uh, we're never going to defeat ageing and death and therefore we should focus our research enterprises on other things like trying to find the cause of cancer and or uh, Alzheimer's disease or, or, or something else uh, rather than fundamentally trying to extend life as long as possible. Hmm. I think this mindset is really powerfully and, and imaginatively summed up in, in something called the fable of the dragon tyrant, uh, which is a, a kind of story, though it was actually published in a medical ethics journal uh, by, by a guy called Nick Bostrom, who's the director of the Future of Humanity Institute at the University of Oxford and is a very kind of well-known name in this kind of human enhancement, transhumanism space. Do you want to briefly explain what the fable is and, and what the moral that Bostrom is trying to pull out of it? Yes, uh, Nick Bostrom is a, is a fascinating character. He's um, a transhumanist, publicly uh, associated himself with, with this movement which is aimed at using technology to enhance uh, human capacities. And um, he uh, published in, in the Journal of Medical Ethics this parable of the, the dragon tyrant. And, and basically he... he he tells this fairy story of uh, a village which is uh, tyrannized by a dragon which appears every evening and demands uh, thousands of lives uh, to be offered in sacrifice. And uh, the the parable unfolds in that um, for hundreds of years the the denizens of the of the village accept that this is just reality. There's nothing that can be done to defeat the the dragon but but eventually at the towards the end of the fable some brilliant innovators come up and say i know why don't we try and defeat the dragon why why don't we do it we're not just going to accept that 10,000 people are going to get slaughtered every day and and the purpose of the parable of course is that is that the dragon tyrant is death that uh, human beings have just accepted that millions of people die every year across the planet and the the purpose of the of the parable is to say why are we accepting this why why do we uh, just uh, lie down in front of this dragon tyrant why don't we use the very best science and research we have to say we're going to defeat this tyrant hmm. 
there's a really fascinating quote. I just want to read a little bit at the end where he kind of, in his own words, explains the moral of his fable. And he says, um, stories about aging have traditionally focused on the need for graceful accommodation and the recommended solution to diminishing vigor and impending death was resignation. Today, we face a different situation. We can identify research directions that might lead to the development of means of slowing the aging process in the foreseeable future and therefore deathist stories and ideologies which counsel passive acceptance are no longer harmless sources of consolation, but they are fatal barriers to urgently needed action. Yeah, so I'm afraid I would probably represent one of the people who um, Bostrom, Nick Bostrom, is 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 targeting as being deathist. You know, so um, I've written books about death and dying, and I have tried to express a kind of Christian understanding that death is both an enemy, which we fight against and use all our uh, ability, but whereas at the same time accepting that uh, ageing and dependence and ultimately death is, is part of God's plan for, for us at this stage of our human uh, development. Uh, it, it's a reality of the fallen world. And and we do have to accept it. We um, and and wisdom is is learning to accept uh, the realities of aging, of dependence, and approaching death, but seeing it as a gateway into a new heaven and a new earth. So I'm pretty sure that Nick Bostrom would would regard me as a classic deathist. <laughs> but isn't there a bit of a contradiction here? Because because much of of modern medicine uh, is being driven by a desire to avoid death so we saw that you know a staggeringly high percentage of women and children died in childbirth and that drew, motivated us to say this rather than saying this is just one of those things that's happened for thousands of years that motivated us to to develop contemporary medicine and care so that we can we have slashed that figure by orders of magnitude and similarly we don't just accept that something like dying from cancer is inevitable. We pour millions, billions of, of, of pounds of, of research to try and overturn it. Why is it therefore that when death is caused not by disease or by um, a medical problem, but is caused by aging, we just shrug our shoulders and say, well, don't fight that. The wisdom is just to accept it. Yeah, and, and of course that's right. It, 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 it is absolutely right that um, we have... Uh, as a society, uh, invested a huge amount of energy, resources, money, training, and so on, in using the very best understanding about science and technology in order to try to combat diseases. And that has been extraordinarily successful. You know, as a paediatrician, the, the, the transformation in child mortality, uh, in childhood diseases, and in the, the chances that a child will survive to, through to adulthood and to old age has been completely transformed by medicine and science uh, over the last hundred years. I mean, you go back to London in the earlier 20th century, uh, just a hundred years ago, and you would find that extraordinary high levels of mortality of uh, children, babies, children, to infectious diseases sweeping through London. And um, and now uh, childhood mortality is exceedingly low because of the advances of public health 
and um, and medical technology and so on. So so that fundamental idea of using science and technology is something that both society as a whole has invested in, and definitely Christians, such as myself, you know, as a, a, a researcher and a, and a medic, have seen this as part of my Christian calling to to use the knowledge and the skills that God has given me uh, to try to fight against death and fight against disease. You're listening to Matters of Life and Death, a podcast from Premier Unbelievable. So should we not therefore celebrate the, um, the, the slightly eccentric Silicon Valley billionaires who've decided that the next frontier is not cancer, but is, but is death from ageing? Could that be could that be the next stage in our using of science technology to to try and um, fight back against death? Well, certainly, I think it's a really interesting and important question, and uh, it's not immediately obvious what a Christian answer might be. In fact, you know, it's potentially quite controversial, and I think we probably going to come back in in the next podcast to look in more detail at those arguments I, I think it might be interesting to to set this in a wider context that in that it's it's not just the idea of using technology to fight aging which has arrived it, it's also there are many other ideas of using technology to enhance uh, the human body both physically to improve improve for instance our stamina our physical strength ability to uh, engage in sports uh, but also cognitively in terms of our brain function in, in using technology uh, in order to try and increase uh, the capacity of the human brain. Hmm. One of these forms of human enhancement that's also coming out of the same kind of Silicon Valley nexus is is a company called Neuralink that's uh, mostly founded and funded by Elon Musk um, who people will be familiar with the the guy who um, made his money, I think, in PayPal and is now spending it uh, building up Tesla, the electric car company, and, and SpaceX, the very successful um, space exploration. Um, it, but Neuralink slightly less famous, but they're, they're aiming at something called a machine body interface, basically a, a way, a something that you can implant inside your brain that would allow your brain to almost talk to and maybe even control a computer. Could, could you tell us a bit more about what that means? Yeah, so Elon Musk is an absolutely fascinating character um, and he has been astonishingly successful as, a, as an entrepreneur who's capable of thinking outside the box. Um, and he's undoubtedly heavily uh, influenced by science fiction um, and uh, he said as much that uh, he was... Being, many of his ideas have come ultimately from the science fiction which he devoured as a child. And one of the constant science fiction uh, themes is the idea that machines are going to become so intelligent uh, as as the science of artificial intelligence increases that they're going to become much more intelligent than human beings and that ultimately the danger is the machines are going to take over and, and eradicate or, or enslave human beings. And so... Elon Musk takes this very, very seriously, and he has concluded that the only uh, way of trying to ensure that human beings can can compete against uh, artificial intelligence is that we have to merge with the machines. We have to enhance our own ability to 
connect with the machines, to understand the machines and have a kind of symbiosis. And the way we're going to do that is we have to have physical links, uh, wires, which are able to interface with the human brain and then allow the human brain to control machinery and ultimately to, to communicate with computers. Hmm. And while it's fair to say Neuralink haven't exactly achieved this goal yet, it's not purely speculative or, or hype. I mean, last year I, I was reading online that they they demonstrated that they had uh, implanted one of their, their interfaces in, into the brain of a monkey, which was able to use it to play the, the very old-fashioned video game Pong, you know, which is kind of just dots moving on a screen from the 1980s. But this monkey was able to play the game Pong simply by thinking about things and they trained it through this this interface and the implant so it's clearly some potential there absolutely and it's interesting that actually uh, this is a much more mainstream um, activity that a number of neuroscience labs around the world are, are trying to uh, work out ways of interfacing between the human brain and machinery and it has an obvious uh, application in using for people for instance who are paralyzed um, in that if this kind of technology can be uh, made to work then it, it's going to be possible for people who who may be completely paralyzed to nonetheless be able to control machinery control wheel, wheelchairs uh, simply by the power of thought and but at the same time uh, there's a great deal of interest in this not surprisingly from the military um, and the American Research Institute, DARPA, which is the Defense Research Institute, is again pouring a lot of money in trying to work out ways in which uh, human beings, uh, like for instance pilots, will be able to control uh, their planes just by thought alone and be able to target weapons and so on instead of having to press buttons. Uh, they'll, they'll just be able to think that's the target I want and then the missile will be fired. The Department of Defense in this in the states is also, I read, um, researching other ways of of trying to almost like amp up the brain's capacity, so its ability to manage information and stretching the capacity to go without sleep. And this is all towards the aim of, of in the future that, that that America might have some form of kind of super soldier who who is a, a, an enhanced human, and they'll need to be able to maybe fight for you know five days straight rather than. And currently, obviously, an ordinary Mark One human would need to sleep, and so there's there's money being poured into efforts about how can we can we tweak the brain's brain's chemistry so that it, it is able to to kind of go beyond the natural limitations that we experience today. Absolutely, the, the, you can see that military planners are uh, involved in a, a technological arms race uh, with a number of uh, you know major nations around the world. Uh, actively competing uh, because they believe that uh, technically enhanced soldiers are going to be uh, the ones who will win the next world war and therefore we have to try and make sure that that our soldiers are are fitter and smarter and more enhanced than the the opposition. Hmm. In that sense it almost becomes a compulsion because even if you have ethical concerns about it if that's what Russia and China are doing to their soldiers, can the US afford not to? Absolutely. And and again, these just illustrate how complex and confusing and, and difficult these issues are. And 
for me, as somebody who's interested in the history of ethics and, and of Christian thought, what's fascinating is, is that uh, in many respects, these are genuinely new problems. No one's ever really wrestled with these kind of ethical dilemmas in the past. You know, the Christian theologians and ethicists have been around for 2,000 years, but it, it's a, there's a real sense in which some of these issues about human enhancement are are genuinely new and uh, they're very confusing. There, it, it isn't immediately obvious uh, what is the right answer. How, how would we respond to these very real ethical dilemmas from the standpoint of the, um, the historic and Christian faith? I guess it's, it's easy when you read about people like Musk who are driven by this, this sense of, of the coming AI singularity and the need for humans to achieve symbiosis with machines. It's easy perhaps to say, okay, well, that's, that's a bit far out. But a, a lot of the people who are working at places like Calico are, are, are not wacky, crazy eccentrics. They're very serious scientists, researchers, and their, their answer, if told, you know, why are you doing this, is probably along the lines of, why wouldn't we do this? We use technology to improve everything else outside of our bodies. Why wouldn't we, would we, would we go to do this stuff underneath our skin as well? Yeah, and actually, I mean, it's interesting if you, to think of it that in many ways, there's a kind of low-tech transhumanism, which has already now become a mainstream part of society. So, for instance, if you think about cosmetic surgery, the idea, you know, I don't have to accept the, my face as God has given me. I, I don't have to accept this flabby body. Uh, we have the technology. We can, I can improve it. I can, I can make my body better. And, and uh, gender reassignment surgery would be another example. I don't have to accept the way my body that has been uh, created. I'm, I'm going to choose uh, to change my body. So, um, and and uh, what's sometimes called recreational pharmaceuticals. You know, I, I don't have to accept that I just feel a bit tired and, and run down. I'm going to take these medicines, these pharmaceuticals, and they're suddenly going to give me a whole new energy. They're going to give me fascinating new experiences and so on. So I, th I think low-tech transhumanism is very much part of contemporary culture and therefore these more extreme versions that we've just been discussing are, are really just a continuation of what's already happening. Hmm. I mean, some people would argue there are forms of technology we use every day. A smartphone is the obvious example, which while they're not physically part of their bodies, the way that we interact with them and what we understand that they're doing to us, they do in some sense become an extension of ourselves. You know, we have lots of research about, particularly for younger people, adolescents, the impact of using a smartphone does seems to alter something about our brains and how we think and can receive information. So in some sense, we are already, we're already on that continuum and these people are simply just pushing it, pushing it further. Absolutely. So I think, I hope we've, we've sort of set the stage to say these are urgent, real problems. Uh, by and large, uh, philosophers, thinkers, theologians, and Christians haven't spent much time really wrestling with these problems, but uh, particularly, Tim, in your world, long after I've disappeared and gone on, I hope, to, <laughs> to better things, you will be um, 
these are issues you're going to have to wrestle with and your generation are going to have to wrestle with. So in, perhaps we'll, we'll draw this podcast to a close now and say, you know, in the in the part two, we're going to look in more detail at, at what are the fundamental uh, philosophical and um, underlying issues which lie behind this and how as Christians can we think about a positive and, and helpful response. Definitely. Definitely. Looking forward to that. So we'll, we'll reconvene in a week's time uh, for a part two to continue this conversation about transhumanism and human enhancement. Uh, looking forward to speaking then. Thanks, John. You've been listening to Matters of Life and Death, a podcast from Premier Unbelievable.